The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Turn with me to the book of Judges. Chapter 2, and I want to read verses 7 through 10 with you this morning. Book of Judges, chapter 2, taking up the reading at verse 7. Let us hear God's own word. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So far the reading of God's word. Well, we gather today with many things on our minds. Um, Some of us uh, are thinking only about papers and finals, uh, but others of us who have televisions uh, maybe are thinking about quite different things with the uh, new outbreak of violence Uh, taking place a little more than an hour north of us. And um, the whole country perhaps is rocked with the question, what are we to think of such things? And uh, there was a headline apparently in one of the New York papers this morning. uh, Headline read, God won't fix this. Now I suppose the purpose of that headline was to say it's time for human beings to act and not leave it to someone else to fix this. But it raises an interesting question, doesn't it, about uh, what do we as God's people make of these events? How do we think about them? How do we react to them? What can we do about them? Well, we can pray, can't we? And uh, we'll do that uh, a little later in this chapel. Pray for those uh, who are victims and pray for those who are tempted to violence that their hearts might be changed. And as citizens, we could spend a good deal of time talking and debating and maybe fussing and fuming and maybe even coming up with a few good ideas, um, thinking about domestic policy and foreign policy to ask if there are things that we can do. But as God's people studying his word, uh, as those who have gathered to try to serve him for the future, I think we need to ask even more profound questions about what we might do and what he's, he's calling us to do. And I had planned some weeks ago to speak from this passage in Judges, and I considered changing it. That's always a, a, a pastoral challenge when something comes up unexpectedly. Um, do you change what you'd planned or do you persevere? So this is sort of persevering a little bit changed. Uh, What are we to make of this remarkable statement in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, 
that after the death of Joshua and the elders who served with him, there arose a generation that did not know God and did not know the works of the Lord. On one level, it's, it's absolutely stupefying, isn't it? Bewildering that so quickly the people of God could move away from the Lord and forget what he had done for them. And part of the function of the book of Judges, I think, is to uh, challenge the people of God in every generation to think about how such a thing could happen. What happened? And there are a number of things that happened, it seems to me, but I want to concentrate uh, this morning just on two things. The first is that Israel, uh, in that generation that knew not God, had ceased to live by faith and had begun, begun the long, vain journey of living by sight. Uh, we all know that uh, late in the book of Judges, when everything really goes to rack and ruin, we are told that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the last great judge, we're told over and over again, Samson did what was right in his eyes throughout his life. Well, Israel that began well at the beginning of the book of Judges um, begins its downward slide, we could say, as at a crucial moment in its history, it shifts from living by faith to living by sight. And we read that in Judges chapter 1, verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now, you notice the text doesn't tell us they actually fought against the chariots of iron. They, I think, just observed the chariots of iron and gave up. This despite the fact that Joshua had promised them in Joshua chapter 17, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. They were living by sight and not by faith in the word of God. They had forgotten the promise of God, apparently, or at least had set it aside, looking at those chariots of iron and concluding there was no chance that they could be victorious against them. Again, Judges uh, shows the folly of this because in chapter 4, you'll remember that um, Deborah will arise as a judge in Israel against Jabin, a Canaanite king who had 900 chariots of iron. But when the Lord was with Deborah and Barak, uh, those chariots of iron became inconsequential. So that's the problem. Israel begins to live by sight, by its own wisdom, by the values and ideas of the world instead of living in faith by the word of God. Uh, when they were led by Moses, that had not been the case. Uh, Hebrews 11:27 says, interestingly, by faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses lived by faith. Uh, he had two gods in his life, Pharaoh claiming to be God in all of his visible splendor, fearful, rightly in many inspiring fear, but Moses chose not to have his life directed by that one who claimed to be a living God and to have all power, but instead 
to guide his life by faith in the God who is invisible but real. And I think that's an important word for all of us today. We must not live by sight. We must not live by fear. We must not live by the powers of this world, but we have to live by faith in the word of the God who is invisible, but truly real, truly powerful, and truly faithful to his word. That's one of the points, it seems to me, that Judges is warning all the people of God about. But there's a second point, and one perhaps even more immediately relevant to us as those at a theological seminary, and that is that the issue of leadership amongst God's people is always crucial to their success. Um, Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, you remember, made a, a very interesting statement to the people, Joshua 24, verses 19 and 20. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Now, that's a, that's a striking statement, isn't it? There, there are many places in the Old Testament where we have the statement, if you're not faithful to the Lord, you'll be punished by the Lord. But this is prefaced by Joshua saying, you are not able to serve the Lord. Sort of like starting a sermon on how to do something and saying, you are not able to do this, but let me preach to you for 30 minutes about what you ought to do. How useful is that? What does Joshua mean here when he says you are not able? Well, there are no doubt a variety of ways of interpreting that. We could say uh, you are not able because you're not regenerate. That's a possibility. Or he might be saying, uh, you are not able because you're under a covenant of works and you can't keep a covenant of works. That may be a possibility. I don't think either of those things are what Joshua has in mind. I think Joshua is saying, you will not be able to serve the Lord because you will not have leaders to direct you in faithfulness. I think what the book of Judges is really all about is what happens to the people of God when they are relatively leaderless. Moses died. Joshua died. The elders who had served with Moses and Joshua died. And what happened to the people? They fell into gross sin. They were not able on their own to continue. And of course, the broader purpose of the book of Judges, I believe, is to help Israel see that they need a king. God will save them from time to time by raising up regional judges to help them, but those judges are only local and they don't last. And I think reading the book of Judges, one of the responses that is called for is the response that says, Israel needs a king. Um, each one does what in, is right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. Now subtly, Judges is also preparing us to see that they do not need a king from the tribe of Benjamin. And above all else, they do not need a king from Benjamin from the wicked city of Gibeah. What they need is a king from Judah, 
Judah is almost invariably the good tribe in the book of Judges. Benjamin's almost invariably the bad tribe in the book of Judges. This is in some ways a political tract for the house of David. But the important point is Israel needs a king. And God will give Israel a king. But what's the problem of the house of David? Well, the house of David has a number of sinners. There's a lot of history about that. Even David is a sinner. The house of David will see division in the people of Israel. And most importantly, even when you have good kings in the house of David, relatively good kings, they die. And so the book of Judges really is directing us ultimately to the need that the people of God will have for a deathless king, for a king who will reign forever, for a king who will reign in perfect righteousness and holiness, a king who will be the last prophet, the perfect judge, the faithful priest, the everlasting king. And so the book of Judges is reminding us that the people of God need Jesus. Uh, Need Jesus whom we don't see today, but whom we are called to trust, whom we're called to believe. Jesus still says to us, I tell you the truth. I died for you. And I call you to live for me until I come again in glory. And what we're about here at the seminary is to try to be leaders of the people of God who, according to his word, direct the people of God to Jesus and say, don't be discouraged, however grim things become. Because Jesus today is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus today is ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus today is the faithful prophet in the face of every false prophet. And we need to put our trust in him. Because the very saddest thing that could happen in this sad world is that the people of God wouldn't know their Lord. And that's what we're called to. And so in the busyness of this time at the end of a semester, in the distractions that we feel in many directions, in the helplessness we may feel as we see the world perhaps spinning out of control. Uh, We need over and over again to return to the word of God and return to the king whom God has appointed over his people, a king who's always faithful, a king who's always accomplishing his purpose, a king who cannot be defeated, and a king who will gather all his elect and one day make all things new. Let us Rejoice in every circumstance in that great truth. And now let us pray for those in need today. Father, we come to you with great thanks for the great gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus, who is indeed for us the deathless king and the great high priest and the faithful prophet. And we pray, O Lord, that even in times of great distress, whether those distresses are personal or whether those distresses are global, that our hearts might look to you, 
that our hearts might have confidence to live by faith in your word and to know that we can trust your promises, to know that we can rely upon you in all circumstances. And so today we pray for those, O Lord, who are grieving the murder of ones dear to them, that you will be their comfort, that they might hear the truth of your gospel, that they might be able to look beyond their grief to hope in Christ. We pray for those who are in hospitals recovering from injuries. We pray you will speed their recovery and that for them too and for their friends and family as well, this might be an opportunity to think about eternal things, that this might be an opportunity to remember how brief our life really is and how our hope needs to be uh, in the eternal one. And we pray for those, O Lord, whose hearts are filled with hate, um, for those who think they are advancing a good cause by violence. Uh, we pray, O Lord, that you would turn their hearts, that you would restrain their evil, and according to your grace, renew those hearts in truth and in faith and in grace. Uh, exalt our Lord Jesus, O Lord, by the truth of his word, but also by the love of his people, for we are called to the difficult task of loving our enemies, and we pray that you will help us to do that faithfully. Uh, we pray for leaders, O Lord, in uh, local communities, in our state, in our nation, and around the world, that they might indeed have wisdom as to how to promote justice and safety uh, in our lands. And uh, we confess, O Lord, that too often we have been indifferent to injustice. And we pray, O Lord, that uh, Although we will not see true righteousness until we have a new heaven and a new earth, we do pray, O oh Lord, that you might be kind to us and give us a greater measure of security and justice in our own time. And so bless us, O oh Lord, but above all, draw us to Jesus, to hope, to life, to refuge in him, for it's in his name that we pray. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.